Barb and I got away for our 26th anniversary. We went down to Destin and just had about four or five days together. Friday morning, last Friday morning, 10 days ago, I was sitting there. We had gone for a walk and I was back there just kind of contemplating where we're at as a nation, what's going on in our country, uh, the turmoil, the election has happened. Some people are so fired up. Other people are in fear. Other people are weeping. And I started looking at just the pulse of our nation and our country. And it caused me to start to ponder. And it caused me to, to write. So I grabbed my iPad and I'm like, I just want to spend some time before the Lord kind of pondering some stuff that God is kind of searing on my heart, if you will. Listen to this and then I'll get into a few thoughts of contemplation. But the United States of America has become a fallacy of fundamental reasoning. It breaks my heart to say this, but think about it. United? What are we united on? We are a postmodern culture that shuns the idea of moral absolutes. We have embraced the thought in this country that truth is subjective. Now, I believe diversity is beautiful if diversity is defined properly. But I'm not talking about diversity of what we see. I'm talking about division. We are divided. In this nation, we're divided on what is right and what is wrong and what is good and what is evil and what is life and what is murder and what is marriage and what is truth. And the beat goes on. If I claim to have a position of a what, meaning this is what I believe, I must have a determined why that supports my what. What I believe will always be inferior to why I believe what I say I believe. So what must always have a standard that determines its belief? Now, what I believe hinges on core values and the fact that a standard exists, that being the why that all humanity is to live by. A standard exists for all humanity to live by. A standard that is true for all people of all places of all times exists for all humanity to live by. Robbie Zacharias, and I would highly encourage you to watch Robbie, R-Z-I-M dot org, podcast him, listen to him, read him. But Robbie shared with me years ago that all humanity seeks to answer four basic questions. The question of origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. Now, the question of origin is posed, where did it all start and where did life come from? Meaning, what is man's fundamental purpose for being on the planet? I will start the year, January 8th, we'll do a seven-week series just on purpose, which is going to be huge for us. Purpose, meaning, morality. Is there a standard of right and wrong? If there is, what is it? And what does it say? And then the question of destiny. What happens when I die? Now, I pose the question to myself, where do I go and where do other people go to answer these questions? Do we go to the White House? 
No. Do we go to the school house? No. For most kids growing up today, can they even go to their own house and have substantiated answers? Can I go to the church house? And there's so many churches across the nation and across the world today that absolutely compromise truth and a lot of times you don't even know where you can go to find answers. I was personally born December 11th, 1962. I grew up in the 60s and the 70s, graduated from high school in 1980. Our family was a lower middle class family. We lived paycheck to paycheck. My dad did construction, specifically drywall, sheetrock. I grew up spotting nails, sanding drywall, eating potted meat, beanie weenies, and a pack of saltines, and occasionally being blessed with a can of spam as we were out on work sites. Make it work. We didn't have a lot of money. My dad did construction, and the guys that my dad worked alongside of, whether it would be roofers or painters or guys doing brickwork or whatever, were white, were black, and were Hispanic. I I went to school and played ball with whites and blacks and Hispanics. I I grew up in a generation where my mom actually cooked every day. (laughs) Buttered homemade biscuits mm, dripping with a little syrup running all into the grits and eggs. Occasionally a little bacon or ham or sausage and I still love fat back. (laughs) My mom cooked dinner every day. Cube steak and gravy. More cornbread and biscuits. There was not a skinny person in our family. (laughs) My friends that I went to school with and played ball with hung out at our house. I would sit down to eat. And there would be whites and blacks and Hispanics. I didn't know that the color of your skin determined your worth or your core beliefs. I believed that every person was created in the image of God. I'm now a follower of Jesus Christ. I became a follower of Jesus in October of 1985. I'm a follower, I'm a disciple of Jesus. Jesus was not born in Georgia. He was not a white American male. He was Jewish, dark-skinned, unmarried, homeless carpenter that didn't speak English. That's who I follow. That's who saved me. That's who plucked me out of the ruins of darkness. That's who transferred me into the kingdom of light. 
a non-white American, a non-black American, a non-American saved me. I read and study the Bible. It is the inspired writings of God. God used people from different cultural and ethnic backgrounds to pen these sacred writings. He didn't use just somebody light-complected or dark-complected. He used a potpourri blend of different people from different cultures, from different ethnic backgrounds that were inspired by the Holy Spirit to pen what I call the canonized 66 books of the Bible. For me personally, I believe that there is a God that created this world and all that I see. I believe he has spoken. I do believe the Bible is the word of God. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior for all who will repent and truly turn and believe in him. I believe that God extends hope to all through the atoning sacrifice and the powerful resurrection of Jesus Christ. To a lot of people, this may sound narrow-minded, but it's what I believe. It's what has changed my life. It is the absolute foundation of what makes me who I am today. My, my God that made me in his image, redeemed me with his blood, that introduced me to himself through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, who now fills me with the Holy Spirit, commands me to love my neighbor. It's not a suggestion. It was not a fly-by-night opinion. He said, love your neighbor. So the question has to be posed, who is my neighbor? It's every person that walks into my life. It's the person who looks different, talks different, smells different, and even believes different. Love your neighbor. It's Republicans, Democrats, conservatives, and liberals. It is Calvinist and Arminians. It is Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterians, and Pentecostals. It is Catholics, Mormons, JWs, Muslims, Hindus, and pagans. It is Americans, Koreans, Mexicans, and Canadians, eh? Love your neighbor. Nowhere in these 66 books from my Jewish rabbi, Carpenter, who lived homeless, Yeshua HaMashiach Jesus, does he tell me to bash my neighbor? He doesn't tell me to be rude to my neighbor. He doesn't say belittle my neighbor. He says love your neighbor. He doesn't say that I have to agree with what my neighbor agrees with. He also doesn't tell me that I need to negotiate truth and 
bury objective reasonings and principles from the word. He just tells me, love your neighbor. God declares in scripture that others will know that we belong to him by how well we love others. There's not a place in scripture where he says, others will know you belong to me by how well you can articulate the gospel or how many verses you can quote or how many services you attend. They'll, they'll, They'll know that you belong to me by how well you love your neighbor. Missions is all about reaching lost people with the gospel. Missions go into all the world, the Great Commission, make disciples of all nations. It's about us reaching lost people, unchurched people, lost people that come to church, people on the streets. Missions is about reaching those who are lost with the gospel. If I don't love my neighbor, I will not try to reach my neighbor. In Matthew 22, a lawyer comes up to Jesus and tries to trip Jesus up. Herodians, Pharisees, Sadducees, they had been picking at Jesus. They had been trying to trap Jesus. Multiple conversations. Shall we give to Caesar this, you know, tax or whatever? And he goes, stop, stop it. Whose image is on your life? We get to Matthew 22 here in verse 36 and This lawyer says, uh, I got got a question for you, Jesus. According to the law of Moses, what is the greatest commandment? You you, want to know what the greatest commandment is? According to the law of Moses? Sure. What do you say it is? Then Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 6.5. Don't miss this. He quotes Deuteronomy 6.5. The great and first and foremost command of all is to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. He adds strength to it here in the Gospels. He quotes it. This is the greatest thing. Have no other gods before me. Make sure that you trust this God, know this God, respond to the pursuit of this God. The greatest thing you can do is know God. And then the second one is like it. And he quotes, don't miss this, he quotes Leviticus 19. He says, love your neighbor as you do yourself. This is buried in the midst of this incredible teaching under the Levitical law that God had given given to his people. Listen to what he says. When you harvest your land, don't harvest it right up next to the edges of your field and don't gather the gleanings from the harvest. Don't strip your vineyard bare or go back and pick up fallen grapes. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am God, your God, emphasis, Love your neighbor, which what he's saying is live generous lives toward poor people and toward foreigners. When people pass by that are hungry, don't just use all of it for yourself and put it in your barn. Have a little left over so that when people are walking by, you bless them too. Love your neighbor. Verse 11, don't steal, don't lie, don't deceive anyone. Love your neighbor. 
Don't, don't steal. Don't take something that's not yours. Don't violate another person. Don't be deceptive in the way you deal with other people. Don't manipulate through your words or through your actions other people. Love your, love, 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 love your neighbor. That honors God. Don't swear falsely, violating the name of your God. I am God. You shall love your neighbor. Don't make a vow in God's name and don't keep it. Don't make a promise in God's name and don't fulfill it. Don't do that. Don't say God has told me this and not follow through with this. Everything hinges on loving your neighbor. Treat people right. Treat people with respect. Treat people with dignity. Don't exploit your friend or rob him. Don't hold back the wages of a hard hand overnight. What is he saying? Don't oppress. Don't rob. Don't, uh, don't abuse poor people by paying them less wages. Don't take advantage of people. And we see that in our culture. We will go to the minorities at times, looking at those minority groups and say, I can get that dude to work cheaper. No, what's the job worth? Treat people fairly. Treat people with dignity. Love your neighbor as you do yourself. That's that's huge. 14, don't curse the deaf. Don't put a stumbling block in front of the blind. Fear your God. I am your God. Love your neighbor. There's people that do not have ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. They're deaf. There's people that are blind when it comes to seeing the reality of the gospel. Don't cause a person who is deaf and blind to stumble. Don't don't allow racism or political views or even extreme denominational views. Don't, don't, Don't let that stuff cause somebody who's lost, who's blind and deaf, to trip. Love? Your neighbor. I am God. Love your neighbor. Don't pervert justice. Don't show favoritism to the poor or to the great. Judge on the basis of what is right. What are you saying? Don't have a spirit of partiality. Don't have a spirit of favoritism. That, that ground at the foot of the cross is level for everybody. The the rich dude and the poor dude and the clothed dude and the naked dude, they all come to salvation the same way. Don't have a spirit of partiality. Don't spread gossip and rumors. Don't just stand by when your neighbor's life is in danger. You shall love your neighbor. Don't, Don't commit fraud. If a dude says, I'll fix your door for $500, and you say, fix my door, and then they pay you only $200, you frauded your neighbor. Don't do him that way. When you agree to say you're going to do something, love your neighbor. Just do what's right. Love your neighbor. Don't secretly hate your neighbor. If you have something against him, your neighbor, get it out and open if you're there at the altar praying, remember there's some alt going on. Leave your offerings to the Lord. Go get this thing right. That's what he says. 
Otherwise, you're an accomplice in the guilt. What is he saying? You're not permitted to hate your brother, hate your sister, hate your neighbor. Hate's not a God word. The only time you say the hate word with God is when God hates sin, but he loves the people. Don't seek revenge or carry out a grudge against any of your people. Love your neighbor as you do yourself. For Jesus to love your neighbor was to practice justice toward other human beings. Don't miss it. So here we are. It's all teed up. We're going into this Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving implies thanks living. We're about to celebrate Thanksgiving. And you're going to see family members for some of you. And you're going, oh my God, I got to deal with her. And God says, I want you to love your neighbor. Didn't say that you've got to let Eddie and the family stay with you over the Christmas holidays. Didn't say you had to be best friends. Didn't say you even had to trust them. He goes, I want you to love your neighbor. Some of you have siblings, family, in-laws, outlaws, mixed emotions, it's when your mother-in-law drives off a cliff in your new Escalade. Mixed emotions. Some of you know that this can be a very difficult time of the year. And God is saying, love your neighbor. It's hard to move into thanksgiving and glorifying and giving thanks to the Lord when you've got bitterness in your heart toward others. You, you see, again, Jesus gives a command, not a suggestion. He gives a command, not, a, not an opinion. Can you imagine a world where people loved this way based on Leviticus 19? Wow. Can you imagine a church where people love this way? Could you imagine a family where people love this way. And that is what Mama K, God has called us to do. I want you to love your neighbor. Seven practical thoughts in closing. One, I will choose to see my neighbor, you're my neighbor, as God's creation. You've been created in the image of God. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. And if you're going to see your neighbor is God's creation. Let me tell you what you got to do at times. You've got to look beyond the obvious. You've got to look beyond the outward. You've got to look into their heart and into their eyes and into their soul and into their circumstances. Because one of the things that God has called us to do is to love our neighbor as he sees our neighbor. And so for some of us, it's like, God, would you give me eyes to see my neighbor in your creation as you see them? If you look at outward appearance, and if you look at outward behavior at times, you'll make conclusions and assumptions that are inconsistent with really what reality is. Most of us, if we had just one more piece of information about what this person was going through, it would change our entire perspective of how we viewed them. 
That girl was just so rude. She just sat there and cried, but she was rude. Yeah, her husband left her four months ago. No child support. He's given no money. They just turned her lights off. She's scrambling for food. Really? Yes. I'm not saying her behavior was okay. But look past the outward. Look past the obvious. And stop and go, what's, what's going on? What's hurting you right now? What's puncturing your heart? What's causing you to be so downcast, baby? Come here. And when you're able to pause and see that, it changes your perspective. Barb is very hospitable. Barb is very compassionate. I mean, she has, I mean, hospitality is one of her gifts. There are two girls in our church that have gone through a divorce in this last six months. And so we're laying in bed the other night and she goes, okay, so-and-so's coming over for Thanksgiving. Really? Yep. Her husband's got the kids this year and she is hurting. And I said, why don't you join us? I said, is she going to come? She goes, what do you think? She mentioned the next one. Then she mentioned more. They're God's creation. They're hurting. They're about to enter into a new kind of normal that they've never had in their journey before. Everything just got disrupted. Love your neighbor. Feed these people in the community. Open the door. Some of them are hurting. Offer hope. Give them them a little blessing. Then continue to build into their lives. Love your neighbor. It's life coaching. Number two, I will ask for forgiveness and I will also extend forgiveness. I will ask for forgiveness and I will also extend it. But let me tell you how this works in Tim Cash's life. I continually have to ask God to forgive me for the junk in my heart at times on how I quickly snap at other people. That didn't reflect Jesus. That didn't honor you. I've had to ask people, hey, I'm sorry, I wronged you. I jacked that one up. A few weeks ago, I had to look at Benji. I jacked it up. Yeah, you did. I'm sorry. I messed that up. You wouldn't do that to your 12-year-old. Benji can whoop you. The 12-year-old can't. No, it's, it's, no, I jacked that up. But when you ask for it and others come to you, do you know what I know about every person in this room? We're all capable of jacking it up, of messing it up, of muddying the waters. I want God to forgive me, but I'm not willing to release that to anybody else. Here's a third one. I will pray for my neighbor. I'll love my neighbors for, by praying for them. And I'll beg God, God, please give me a sincere heart as I pray for this neighbor here that I really don't like. It's easy 
to pray for people you like. It's hard to be sincere in your prayers for those you don't like. But the fact that I don't like them does not minimize God's love for them. And that's something you have to work through. I pray for my neighbor's salvation, for their circumstances, for their walk with God. You can pray for your neighbor. Four, I will rejoice with those who are rejoicing and I will mourn with those who mourn. I'll celebrate your victories, but I can cry in your pain. Galatians 6 says, bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. So when you're able to pray with a person and you're able to celebrate that high point, but you're able to also help burden bear with them going through a tough time. If you're hurting, we'll walk through it together. Christ is the ultimate burden carrier. So I look and go, he carries all of the weight, but he goes, walk with that person for a little bit. They're weighed down right now. Yeah, you can do that as you love your neighbor. Five, I will learn and be teachable. I will allow my neighbor to speak challenges into my heart at times. Listen, listen, listen. I will allow my neighbor to speak challenges into my heart at times without being offended. Without becoming defensive. Hey, well, let me tell you why I did what I did. I don't really give a rat's cheese why you did what you did. Hey, bro, here's something that can make you better. When you are able to learn and you're able to be teachable, do you know that most people in my life that share things with me are doing it really out of a constructive heart and not out of a destructive heart? But we assume that if anybody says anything to us, they're attacking us. If Chad or Scott or Steve or Jim or any of the elders go, let me share something with you. Do you know that is constructive? You know that girl that I've been married to for 26 years here in a few days? She really wants to see me win. So when she shares certain things with me and I bow up, that's not good. Lee and Neil, Neil's one of our elders, Undoubtedly, I had a few extra buttons that I didn't button this morning, not because I was trying to look cool. It's just because something happened. And she came and she goes, if you button those last two buttons, that would look a lot better. What did I say? What are you picking at my shirt? Look at your hair. If you would have come. No. She would have slapped me in the next week. I said, hey, Barb's home with two sick kids today. Thanks for hooking a brother up. She was trying to help me. Why? Because I'm not Lance Romance and I've never been on the cover of GQ. I don't know how to style and profile. Save it. Help a brother out. Makes sense? Love your neighbor. She was loving me. I will ask hard questions to myself. Why do I think the way I think? Why do I do what I do? Why do I behave the way 
I behave. Was that right? Did that reflect Jesus in what I just did? If I can ask hard questions to myself, I can also challenge you with hard questions. But you've got to be asking them to yourself. Am I really becoming the man that God wants me to be? Am I really living out the teachings of Christ or am I living just confused right now? Here's the last one. I will refuse to be judgmental. I am not the fourth member of the Trinity. God didn't tell me to judge those outsiders. He does say in 1 Corinthians 5, those inside the church, we've got permission to judge, which means to walk with, which means to help them. But it doesn't say judge them, beat them down, and put them down and put them out. The heart of the gospel is for restoration. And so the cool thing is, the cool thing is this, for each and every one of us, you live in a world where you deal with people. Every person that walks into your life is your neighbor. They might talk different. They may walk different. They may look different. They may smell different. They may eat different. But they're your neighbor. And the Bible says they're going to know you belong to Abba by how well you treat them. You see, if I'm going to reach you with the gospel, I've got to build rapport and care about you. The old cliche, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So when they know that you care, you start to create some common ground out of love, not out of correction. I want to share Christ with you. I want to see you come to know the hope of glory. I want to see you be set free. Love, agape, agapeo, unconditional, sacrificial love. Your neighbor. Some of you go, I can't do it. If you can't do it, it's because you've never repented and responded to the great agape on the vertical. If I come to that place where I repent and surrender and ask Christ to take over my life, he infuses his love inside my heart. The only way I can love you is that I have to let him love me unconditionally. I have to receive that love and respond to the pursuit of that love. Once I get born again, saved, and the Holy Spirit comes inside of me with that incredible kind of love... Then and only then does the peace of Christ have permission to reign and rule that I can extend that love to other people. So here's my challenge as I pray. As we move into prayer and communion here in a few moments, you would say, I don't know the love of Christ. There's people that walk into church week after week after week, Mark, they don't know the Lord. They played the games. They continue to spend their 80 minutes on Sunday. And they're as lost as lost can be. You go, the greatest way for me to give thanks entering into this Thanksgiving week would be to give thanks for salvation and receive it. Yes. Man, I know the Lord, but I've got some bitterness. We would love to pray with you. God wants to set the captive free. There's people in your life that you go, "I, I don't have bitterness, but I just haven't had the courage to take that next step and share with my family member. We want to pray with you during that 
time. God wants to set you free. 